By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone. In case you didn't hear, after three years of working on it, I finally released my book, The Four Foundations of Golf on Amazon. And with everyone's support, it has become the number one selling golf book on there. I've just been totally blown away by everyone's feedback, support, the messages I received. So thank you so much for purchasing it, leaving reviews on Amazon. And if you haven't bought it yet, you can search pretty much any major Amazon market around the world for the four foundations of golf. And I just want to say a huge thank you again to everyone's support. It really means a lot. And without further ado, we will start this week's episode. So I think, you know, we try to give a mixture of topics on the sweet spot because the nature of the show is that we don't like overdosing on one thing we like to give a a nice balanced approach to the game and you know based on the feedback we've gotten from listeners over the past year now or year plus is that people love to talk or hear about the mental game and expectation management you know you and i have done a few episodes on that adam ourselves i think we have somewhat similar philosophies there but we wanted to bring someone else, you know, we've talked to Scott Fawcett as well. He's got some different philosophies, but we want to bring, you know, someone who I think has a unique approach to, to kind of expectation management in the mental game. His name is Kent Osborne, and he uh, espouses something called the scratch attitude. So Kent, welcome to the show, and, and thanks for being on here today with us. Thanks, John. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure. So you and I connected a couple of years ago. I came across your work. I read your book, which was wonderful. It was called Play Like Ray at the time. It was, it was a really nice, it's actually a fictional story, but it felt real. And it was such a great explanation of, of a lot of the things that elude golfers in terms of enjoying the game and, and, and how to handle your emotions and the mental game. And then you've written a few articles on my site as well on Practical Golf. So yeah, we wanted to have you on here and, and talk about what the scratch attitude is. But first, I think you have a unique professional 
and playing background. So why don't you try to tell people about what you've done in the past before you were even a golfer and how that's working in the golf world now? Sure. Yeah. So I started out uh, my professional career as a mental health counselor or psychotherapist, if you prefer that terminology. Became a clinical director in a mental health center, worked in the National Hockey League with the Detroit Red Wings for uh, a couple of seasons as their uh, mental skills coach. Went from there, had an opportunity to develop a executive coaching practice, and I was very fortunate that uh, uh, that worked well, and I had a global clientele there. And then I did a lot of executive retreats. I think I worked in 32 or 33 countries over the years. And for the last 10, 15 years, I've also been part of the Stockholm School of Economics in their executive development program. I teach an advanced coaching program to execs there. So that's gone very well. I've been I've been fortunate in my uh, in my career and uh, was able to take up golf when I was fifty. And we'll get into the story, I think, of how that all unfolded. But to make a long story short, uh, I think in 2019 I got down to scratch, and then in 2020 I won a club championship. So, and I think that's was primarily because using these scratch attitude ideas, my mindset on the golf course is usually. Uh, more of an ally than an adversary. What I found interesting about your story and when you, you talk about what it took to get to that level, it was in one of the articles you wrote on my site where you, you, you were, you know, when you first took up the game, even with your experience as a psychotherapist and a career counselor, however, or, or corporate coach, whatever you want to call it, you had some like serious struggles with golf when you first took it up. Do you want to kind of explore that? Like what was going wrong in the beginning with you? Well, I think that, you know, I fell into the same traps that everybody else did. I mean, I remember when I literally first started playing with guys that I played recreational softball with and and we'd go out and play soft. We were a terrible team. And, and after every game, we'd get together for a beer and we'd give an artificial <clears> leg as a trophy to the guy who made the worst error of the night. That's kind of the level that we played at. And uh, so we played golf, arguably, at about the same level. We were as close to Augusta National as we were to Yankee Stadium in terms of talent. But you get these same guys on the golf course and they'd be bent out of shape half the time. You know, frustrated with how they played, disappointed in how they played, uh, not satisfied with how they played. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be the poster boy for a good time. I'm going to be the poster boy for I'm just happy to be here. And truth of the matter is, is I started to get a little bit better and it's all relative. You know, my got to the point where I could say, you know, regularly break 90. I noticed myself, you know, doing what everybody else did. Not that I was tossing clubs or anything like that, but I was into the classic kind of, you know, mode where I would flatline after a good shot and I would have an emotional reaction after a bad one. So, you know, a good shot is, hey, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? And a bad shot was, what the hell? And, you know, like frustrated and disappointed and off to the side looking for the position and, you know, doing the whole routine and, so acting like every single golfer on the planet does <laughs> for the most part. Thankfully, you know, I don't know how long that went on for, but it was certainly a good season or two. But thankfully, it, it kind of dawned on me that, you know what, I need to I need to reach back into what I learned in my career working with people, trying to help people be the best that they could be and try to help them, you know, grow personally and uh, and spiritually, even if you want to you know, extend that out to the broadest definition. So I took a look at that and, 
yeah, I developed a program or a pathway that's that's really worked for me, and it's worked so well for me that I thought, you know what? Um, look, you're retired now. Why don't you share this? Why don't you, you know, get a little space on Twitter and share your ideas? And you know, if a few guys get some benefit from it, then uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and your Twitter handle is at Scratch Attitude, and you got my attention pretty quickly because a lot of the stuff you were saying was, you know the type of stuff I struggled with, continued to struggle with and was trying to help golfers with. So we kind of had similar goals. Why don't we talk about some of like the quote unquote cornerstones or maybe the greatest hits of the scratch attitude? You know, when I was reading your book, one of the first things you talked about was understanding the difference between you and the pros. And we've, Adam and I have talked about this on the show quite a bit that, you know, watching the PGA tour on TV can give you a a warped view of the game. And I thought you gave a really good, interesting explanation of, of how a recreational golfer should separate themselves from what the pros are doing, because that's a battle we're all fighting for some reason, (laughs) even though when you think about it, theoretically, it makes no sense, but it's just, unfortunately that that's, that's what happens in this game. Well, I think that the primary difference between myself and a professional golfer is purpose. They're on the golf course to perform and I'm on the golf course to experience the joy of play. And it's really that simple. And if I put any kind of performance expectation, any kind of performance expectation on my game, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be anxious, you know, for a number of reasons. I mean, the game's really hard. The brain is wired to focus on negatives. And yeah, so my approach is to focus on, as opposed to the peak performance zone, I focus on the peak play zone. I'm there to experience play. And once you become a regular golfer, whether your handicap is, you know, whether you're a plus two or 22, every round you're going to hit some good shots, good relative to you, not good relative to, you know, Rory McIlroy, but good relative to you. And and the name of the game for me is I'm paying to enjoy those moments, period, end of story. I mean, there is no chance. I mean, I got my, I'm a good club level golfer. I'm, I'm a, you know, you might say I'm a very good senior golfer, like senior recreational golfer. But I'm light years away from, you know, leaving a legacy or making a living in the game. It's just like two other worlds. So for me, the first thing about the scratch attitude approach is that I'm on the golf course to play, to experience play, to be no different than I was when I was an eight-year-old kid playing baseball with no expectation, not managed expectations, smaller expectations, but no expectations to perform because I just don't have the skill. And the second greatest hit, if you want to call it that, is my is understanding that, that golf is a three-dimensional game, not, not a two-dimensional game. It's not mental and Which physical. It's mental, physical, and emotional. And if you see the game as mental and physical, which is kind of like the mainstream feed that we get from watching the tour, then you make the mistake of considering your emotions as a subset of the mental game. But if you see the game as three equal parts, physical, mental, and emotional, and you start to look at the heart of your experience being feeling calm, feeling joyful, feeling grateful, feeling confident, feeling, then you'll start to put a focus on that. 
So I think those would be the two, the two things that come to mind for me right off the top. And maybe the third would be the idea it's connected to the first one really is, is really understanding why you're there, not, not understanding why you're there in an intellectual way, but understanding why you're there in a, in an emotional way, in a tangible kind of way. So let's explore the concept of, I mean, you were pretty blunt about it, that, you know, going out on the course with no expectations can, because I mean, (laughs) even me, who's someone who is trying to help other golfers manage their expectations and stuff like that. I feel as though that's one of the hardest ones for me still in the sense of zero expectations, like specifically, what do you mean? Like just going out there, like you are not expecting to hit any shots or is it, is it a process thing? Like let, let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that probably rattled a few feathers when someone heard that, that have zero expectations on a golf course. Well, let's put it this way. And this may be, I don't know how this is going to sound, but to my mind, I, I want to approach playing golf in the same way that I would, you know, if my, I've got a new grandson, he's, you know, seven months old now, but let's say he gets to the point where he's seven years old and, and him and I are out on the on the lawn having a catch. What expectations am I going to have for that? I mean, I had I was a good ball player as a kid, not like major league quality, but but a good you know ball player in my region. So I'm going to go out there and play catch with the kid. I'm not going to be you know I'm going to drop the odd ball maybe, and maybe I might toss the odd one that's a little bit offline. But for the most part, we can have a fun game for 20 minutes, half an hour, or an hour. I'm not out there thinking about, you know, how I need to move my arm. And I'm not thinking about, you know, that I want every ball I throw to be, you know, just off of his left left shoulder. And, you know, I'm just out there having fun, having fun. And so with golf, I put time and effort into golf. I'm a reasonable player. I know for the most part I'm going to make contact. I know sometimes I'm going to hit the ball really well. I know sometimes I'm going to hit the ball not so well. But my expectation is that I'm just going to go out there and play. So we call that no expectations if if you wish, but I'm not expecting to shoot a, a certain score. Now, I know that I'm going to be somewhere be, in all likelihood, somewhere between, you know, 69 and 86. But I'd be really surprised if I shot 65 and I'd be really equally surprised if I shot 95. But I just go out and play. And it was interesting to me listening to – I'm not sure if I picked it up or recorded it, but interesting yesterday listening to Cam Smith after his round. Did you hear him? Yeah, he was talking about what struck me if we're talking about the same. I caught his quick reaction the first interview after he won the Players' Championship in pretty dramatic, amazing fashion where he was – he said he was almost more excited about having his family from Australia there with him than he was about the golf which was an incredible perspective to me because that was one of the most difficult tournaments in recent history, probably from a mental perspective for all those guys because of what happened with the weather and the delays. But yeah, he was just kind of like, yeah, I was just kind of excited to see my family after a couple of years because of the COVID restrictions and the golf was almost secondary. He said a a bit later, he basically said, I have no expectations for for how I'm going to play or how I'm going to score. I put a lot of energy and effort and focus into my preparation. But then once the tournament starts, what he said was, I just love competing. I love being out there playing against the best players in the world. So now, not that I'm comparing myself to Cam Smith in any way, 
But I'm simply saying that that no expectations for me means that I'm just there to play. And what does it mean to play? It means I'm totally carefree. And my skills are going to show up relative to how, how good I am. I mean, there's nothing I can do, you know, to take those skills away, really. And there's nothing I can do to make them any better in that moment. So I'm just there to have fun, period, end of story, which I think is the problem with recreational golf because I think that mainstream golf is and mainstream golf psychology is too much into performance. I'll read you. I mean, and I like the psychology stuff because, uh, you know, I've worked with top performers in the past and blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to read you something from two books that I just got, both of them published in 2021 from pretty reputable, noticeable names in the golf shrink world. One of them starts by saying, so you want to play better golf and you're reading this book hoping it holds a secret. Next page, it says, as a golf professional, concerns me that so many people are not enjoying the game and many others have quit. The reasons are different for each individual, but we've lost sight of a simple truth. Golf is a challenging game. To overcome a challenge, a golfer needs to possess not only golf skills, but must be mentally tough. And I disagree with that. I don't need to be mentally tough. I'm not trying to win the Masters. I'm trying to win a skin on men's night, for God's sake. <laughs> that is a big departure. And I'm one of those people who've said that too. I, I actually, for whatever reason, my mental makeup on the course sometimes feels like it is a battle and I am fighting against myself and have to be tough. I need to be emotionally resilient because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes out there. And I don't want to get off the train of, I'm here to play. So in the other book, little quote, the guy says, you have to dream as big as you can possibly imagine. I want you to become the golfer of your wildest dreams. Now, nothing wrong with that. I mean, on a certain level, I'm into that. No. But next page, he goes on to say, when you're at the end of your golfing career, I want you to be able to say, I have no regrets. I worked my tail off and had a ball seeing how great I could get at this game. I'm thinking to myself, at the end of my career? I don't have a golf career, so <laughs> at the end of my professional career, absolutely. And I want you to be able to be, say, I worked my tail off. I don't want to work at golf. I'm paying to play. Why would I want to work at it? And I had a great time seeing how great I could get at this game. I don't think there's anybody, unless it was an absolute beginner, who's going to look at my swing and say, man, that guy's a great golfer. So again, I'm not saying that these guys, what these guys are saying is wrong, but I'm saying that to me that there's two streams. There's the elite stream where, you know, you're a spot, you're a junior golfer, you're aspiring to be a college golfer, you're aspiring to be a pro. I get that. And all the stuff that I just read is bang on for those guys. But the recreational stream, which I'm a part of, and just because I got the scratch and just because I, you know, I won a club championship. I'm a recreational pay-to-play golfer. And laying all this performance, continuous improvement, you know, hit it longer, hit it fast, swing faster, hit it, layering all that stuff on me, every brick I put in that wall takes away my ability to experience joy in the golf course, I think. And so what I did was basically reject that and say, you know what, I'm going to take a different path. I'm going to take a path that, you know, I feel is uh, more in line with the reality of my game. So my mind's whirring at the moment with, are they necessarily in competition 
So, you know, you, you get this person, this junior, I remember myself being two people, this junior who is just, I, I need to get as good as possible. And then where I am now, which is more of, I'm just out here to play fun. You know, the things that I kind of do right now is I go out on the golf course. I don't tell anybody who I am when I'm, when I'm there. They, they ask me what I do for a living. I'm like, ah, I just do some, I just do some coaching stuff. And they usually don't ask further than that. And so I don't have any expectations then. I can go out and freely enjoy myself on the golf course. My aim is just, yeah, just I'll see what happens, hit a few good shots. I'm not too worried about it. I'm just there to enjoy it. And I actually enjoy being around people and learning about them and speaking to them. But with regards to the kind of play mindset versus the I need to improve, you could almost argue that, well, you probably still improve prove just with the play mindset as well right even where, even though you don't have the expectation to improve it's still you could get there right well i sent out a tweet there a while ago and i basically said look practice because you love to practice period you know if you enjoy beating balls on the range for an hour go do it if you enjoy chipping and putting go do it if you enjoy creating game like situations go do it but whatever you do just do it because you love it yeah. Do it because yeah. it's a joy. And you know what? In the process, if I spend two, three hours a week, quote unquote, practicing over the course of a year, then, you know, chances are, you know, I might shave a stroke or two off my handicap or my short game might be a little bit sharper. But it's not going to, no amount of practice is going to take me over the, the next threshold, you know, the, the next threshold for me where, you know, the three of us are playing together and you guys look at me at my game and you say, Jesus, man, you, you, you really should think about Monday qualifying for the, for the champions tour, you know, it ain't going to happen. It's just not. So, yeah, I think if you focus on joy and you do what you love, then, and if you play a lot, you're going to get better. You're going to get to a certain level. In the same way, when I was a kid playing ball, I got to be a really good local ball player, but not someone that the Yankees are going to draft, but pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I agree with you is that, and when I first started practical golf, I, I thought long and hard about these things is like, if you don't enjoy any part of this, whether it's the practice, whatever part of golf that you're doing, then what is the point? Like there's a lot of time we're spending in, in, a, in a recreational sense that, that could be used elsewhere in your life. I'm always trying to think about that myself because I'm not someone who grinds away at practice either. I, I put my work in because I want to maintain my skill level. And yes, I, I do compete and I want to get better at that. But there are times where I don't feel like it and I just don't do it because I don't know, I don't feel like it <laughs> and I just do something else like me and I'm playing virtual or virtual ping pong. I'm more interested in that at the moment than banging golf balls all week. That'll probably change when the weather turns and the golf season comes. But yeah, I think it's, it's just I'm glad we got you on here because you're asking like the difficult questions of people and, and almost posing. I think some people are listening to you and you're thinking that guy's crazy. I don't think you're crazy. Because these are things that I have to think about, too, when I go out and tee it up. Am I fighting against the John who is ultra competitive one? Or am I going to be the laid back, you know, looking at the birds chirping and enjoying my experience? And I'm trying to be that one and I'm fighting with the other one. And I don't think that battle's ever going to end for me, but I've certainly got better at the mixture. Well, to um, me, it's kind of a middle ground between like when I think about my own game, like I'm too far down the rabbit hole to do the 
tiptoe through the tulips. I don't care what I shoot at all. I'm not going to play by the rules, five foot gimmies. I'm going to top everything up in the rough. I mean, I want to play the game by the rules. And believe me, I want to play well. And if I'm playing well, I have more fun than if I'm not playing well. But it doesn't mean that I'm not having any fun if I'm not playing well. You know what I mean? But I can't go the other extreme and act as if I'm on the tour or aspiring to be on the tour. By, and, you know, and layering this kind of performance level expectation on myself. So to me, the, what's the middle path? And the middle path is what I call this peak play zone, not peak performance zone, but peak play zone. I mean, there's a subtle distinction there. And, and when you're in that peak play zone, you're fully immersed in what you're doing. You know, you're totally connected with your target. You're really into the game and into your swing and into the moment. That's the experience that we want. And when I do that, I give myself a better chance of playing well. I mean, like you don't have to be a Bob Roteller to figure out that if you're relaxed and you're grateful and you're enjoying yourself and you're not stuck in swing mechanics, chances are you're going to hit the ball a bit better. Yeah, I was playing around this past summer with a career psychotherapist. And he had learned what I was doing. And he was like, I'm not trying to, I think there's a lot to be learned from a lot of the mental game books that are out there. I think there's some really good material out there that's helped a lot of golfers. But in his perspective, which was similar to yours as a, as a career therapist, he's like, I don't feel like it spoke to me enough specifically. And he's like, well, what's your approach? And I'm like, well, listen, I don't have the answer either. I think, you know, when you talk about the emotional state and the mental game. We'll, we'll get into your distinction between the two in a bit. I want to explore that more. But I just, I said, it really boils down to me. It's just like, I had to make a commitment to enjoying myself on the course or else this game was going to ruin me. And a lot of the traditional mental advice in golf is more performance related. Like we are going to give you this arsenal of tools to access on the golf course. And not that I'm against those. I, I give that same advice too from time to time. But also like to me, it's like I cannot ignore because I struggled with fun for so long and enjoyment for so long and expectation management for so long. I'm like, uh, that was kind of my answer to him. And I remember on the next shot, I blasted one out of bounds. <laughs> and I'm like, look at what I did just there. I mean, 10 years ago, I probably would have maybe tossed my club because I'm having a good round right now. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and I looked at him. I'm like, to be honest with you. I wasn't paying too much attention to the target because we've been having such a nice conversation right now, but this is kind of like a fun round between you and me. So who cares? So it was kind of like a interesting moment for me where I was talking to him about it. And like, I think he appreciated that it was a kind of a more human explanation versus I think sometimes we get maybe caught into this peak performance uh, type stuff. And as you said, it just doesn't translate to the, the golfer who's looking to break 90. It's getting stuck on, I guess that hamster treadmill of, of, the obsession with the scoring and the results, which is tough to get off of. It doesn't even translate to the, you know, the best golfer at the local club who's, uh, you know, who's trying to break par or trying to get the, you know, plus two as opposed to scratch. I've seen a number of those guys who aren't that happy. They, <laughs> they love the game, but they don't love their game because there's always a carrot that's a little bit farther, you know, like, I'm at scratch, I should be plus two, or I'm at I'm a three handicap, I should be a scratch, or and so from yeah. Anyway. I tell people all the time because I see them quite a bit in tournaments. I tell people all the time the most unhappy golfers I know are the 
the highly skilled high performers because like you said they're chasing that last bit of juice to squeeze out of their game versus some of the happiest golfers i've ever met maybe you can call them the more successful ones since it is a recreational endeavor for them is are the ones that really didn't care that much of how it went they were just happy to i'm thinking of a guy on, on a golf course i used to belong to who was in his early 90s literally walked and played every day seemed like the happiest guy on the planet to me didn't even you know wasn't hitting it very far i walked a few holes with them he was just he was just out there to enjoy himself and i i often tell people like i would you know if that's your two versions of golf to choose from i'd for most people because of their time commitment I'd say go that route versus the golfer who's perpetually looking for more and unhappy with what they've got. Well, the ideal for me is to have that core, you know, your game is rooted in the joy of play. And because of that, you're able to tap into your potential. And so the ideal for me is have fun and play well. I want to play well. I want to play as well as I can. And for me, what I found is, the more I'm connected to the idea that I'm, I'm here to play, the better my scores are. For me, when I went the traditional route, which is the more you focus on, on you know, shooting that low number or, or, you know, making that great swing, if I do that, then I'll allow myself to be satisfied. That route didn't work for me. And I don't see it works for many guys. If it works for you, beautiful, man, keep doing it. But I've seen guys that, you know, I remember one guy after a round of golf, he shot his best round of the golf of the year. He's a good player. He shoots 70 or 71 or something like that on a, on a relatively tough course. And, you know, we're sitting around and one of the guys said, man, great round today. And he goes, yeah, geez, you know, but geez, if I hadn't had that double bogey on 14. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, he just broke par on a tough golf course. I think lots of that, it can be, you know, just, is it bravado, the word that I'm looking for, where maybe internally we feel quite satisfied with that round, but we're trying to almost convey to everybody else that uh, that's normal for us. Like you say, after, after a bad shot, we get upset because, and sometimes it's real, but I know in my own game, if I'm playing with other people, I might almost like pretend that I'm upset with a bad shot after a bad one. And then after a good one, I'm kind of internally excited, but I don't allow myself to express that externally. But I mean, in many cases as a junior, I was, I did genuinely feel the emotions in the way that you were saying, you know, I would hit a bad shot and I would genuinely internally be upset with it. I hit a good shot and I would genuinely feel nothing about it because I felt like that was, that was what, what was expected of me. But now I may still have the external appearance of that, but internally I'm much more level, I suppose, or correct in my emotional response to it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, like I can't, I'm generalizing here, obviously. I mean, I don't know what was in this guy's heart at the time. And, you know, that's why maybe I said at the beginning of this that this is an approach that works for me. It's something that I think it worked so well for me that I wanted to share it, but I'm not suggesting in any way that this is this is the way, the truth, and the light. It's just, you know, it's an alternative look at the game. And, you know, it could work for some guys. And But if you're doing, if somebody out there is listening and he's, you know, you're really happy to be constantly trying to improve and you're really happy to, you know, set expectations for yourself and, and, and that's, that's what floats your boat, then uh, by all means, keep doing it. Well, I think 
I hope one of the things we do on the show is that, you know, golfers, I think one of the tools to being happier and getting better at the game is just collecting different perspectives. And a lot of that can be through your mistakes in the game and learning from them. And then when we bring on, you know, what Adam and I talk about our games or what we're doing to get better, practicing strategy, all these different topics, but on the mental part and the emotional part, there are, I do think there are many different ways and perspectives to do it just because, you know, we all different experiences and are growing up. So I don't want to get into psychology, but I like giving different perspectives or solutions to the problem of golf. So that's why I wanted to have you on here because I think you do have different ones. You mentioned earlier that golf is a three-part game. It's physical, mental, and emotional. And most people would be surprised to hear that you drew the line between emotional and mental. Can we talk about that for a bit? So my sense of how the mind works from my experience being a counselor, psychotherapist, slash mental skills coach, whatever you want to call it, I think of the mind like an iceberg. And what's on the top of the iceberg, what we can see is your, what's often called left brain, right brain, your thoughts, both in terms of your, your logical thoughts and your ability to think imaginatively and intuitively. Underneath that iceberg are your emotions, and underneath those emotions are your beliefs, and for me, the, while thoughts can influence your overall state, your overall state is mostly determined most of the time by your emotions. So what I would say to the average golfer, place more of an emphasis on rituals than routines. And I would say to an elite level golfer, place an equal emphasis on rituals and routines. Well, what do I mean by that? Routines are primarily cognitive. They're primarily how you use your left brain and your right brain, how you think logically in terms of, uh, you know, course management and slot shot selection, and then how you think when you're in the think box, how you think imaginatively and intuitively. Guys will often use routines as a way to ameliorate negative emotions. doesn't work. Whether those routines are, are what you're visualizing or whether those routines are, you know, like Phil doing breath work in between shots at the PGA Championship. It's not that those things aren't useful. They are useful, but you can't, your routine won't put you into a positive state if you're in a negative one. Your routine will only, will only drop down your anxiety a few notches or, you know, drop down your frustration a few notches, but it won't put you into the, an optimal state. It won't put you into a flow state if you're not already there. So the optimal state is grounded in emotions. If you're playing great, what's happening is you're feeling calm. You're feeling confident. You're feeling carefree. So, and how you cultivate those emotions, you can't control them. I can't control them. How you cultivate them is what I would call with rituals off the golf course. And when I say rituals off the golf course, I'm not talking about, you know, lighting candles and being in a stone circle. and you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of like something having, similar to a rain dance or yeah, something like exactly. that for golf. I'm, I'm not talking about that, <laughs> but, but a ritual that, that I recommend in, in the ebook and that I've used uh, religiously is I use a journal. And after every round I play, I will write down my best shots. And I'll not just write down my best shots, but I will relive my best shots. Now, 
Why is that important? Well, it's important because in a way it counteracts the mind's natural tendency to go to focus on the negative. We're hardwired to identify problems because it's evolutionary advantage. If you, a half a million years ago, if you were at the waterhole and you didn't notice that, you know, that sound really shouldn't be there or that those trees shouldn't be arranged, that the bush shouldn't be arranged in this particular way. If you weren't able to pick that out, you exited the gene pool. We evolved with this great ability to identify these problems. And so here we are playing a game that's replete with mistakes and errors and, and it's very difficult to do. And you get a brain that's hardwired to focus on negative. So what the typical guy does after a round of golf is he's, you know, he shoots a good round, but he, but he thinks about, he dwells on, he repeats to himself what went wrong. And so what that does from a neurological point of view, I, I think, is it strengthens the neural pathways for negativity. So the ritual that I, one of the rituals that I use is I will sit down, takes me five minutes. It's not like a big deal, but I will sit down with a physical book and I will write, you know, great opening dive on number one, you know, high draw right to my target. And then I will close my eyes and I will reimagine myself in that moment, reimagine myself, the, the feel, physical feel and the emotional feeling I felt. And usually in every round I play, there's three or four or five great shots. Not great for me, not great for Cam Smith, not great for you guys, but great for me. And so I do that. I've done it religiously. And so it trains my brain to focus more on the positive. It lays down or improves those tracks to that. And so what you'll find yourself doing, if you, for me anyway, when you do this, for you know a month or two or three months is you'll find yourself just naturally enjoying your best shots more and being focused on your worst shots less without needing to you know to layer on some kind of a of a on course routine that tells me I have to be happy here or I have to be calm. So I strongly recommend the for the average guy to to put some emphasis on that and be less focused on uh, potentially on what you're doing in the think box, but more focused on that piece. We are going to take a quick break there, and we will be right back. What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? I am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with, Gooder Sunglasses. I pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on, and I definitely wear them all the time on the golf course, so it's a really important product for me. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands. Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast, so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course, and you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to Gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash Sweet Spot. And use promo code SWEETSPOT at checkout and you'll receive 15% off your entire order. 
That's www.goodr.com forward slash sweet spot. And make sure to use promo code sweet spot at checkout for your 15% discount. So if I'm buttoning this up in, in one thought, it's all of the mental slash routine tricks you can pull out on the golf course aren't going to do a thing if your emotions are not in the right place. The emotions are the prerequisite for, I don't want to use, maybe success is not the right word, but at least you know, get bringing your skill out more because I mean, I, this is what I've been figuring or trying to figure out over the years as well is that if I had to characterize the two or three main emotions I felt on the golf course, they're probably fear anxiety and anger when I was at my worst. And when I'm playing my best, I would say it's enjoyment and gratitude would be the maybe the emotions that are dominating, even in, in the in the high pressure moments that I've chosen to put myself in. I enjoy those. But as, looking back on them, like you say, you know, doing that journal, I do mental journaling, but the way my brain works is my wife doesn't quite understand this, but I feel like there's all these different filing cabinets up there. I do have this like file cabinet of my great tournament memories and non-tournament memories that I, I do think about quite often. I do a lot of walking, so I often just let my mind wander and, and they're in there. And, and I think that's helped me a lot in, in becoming a happier golfer and a better golfer as well as is just the emotions are the prerequisite. Almost. Yes, absolutely. That's bang on the money. And I need to say that I'm not I'm not by nature able to do that. I, by nature, I would be dwelling on the negatives. Well, I think we all struggle with, well, I mean, a lot of people just default to that. And and so that's a practice for me. So I do that religiously after my round and before my round, what I will do is I'll ask myself kind of borrowing something from Buddhism here, but I'll ask myself, okay, if this is the final round you're going to play, because that's coming at some point, how would you want to experience it? And answering that question takes me to well, I'd want to, I'd want it to, to go, you know, to, I'd want to really experience the, the people that I'm with and the and the, the course. I'd want to immerse myself in every shot. I'd want to be fully committed. I'd want to be really, I'd want to be really happy if I hit it good. And I'd want to just, hey, no biggie. If I didn't hit it good, I'd just move on to my next shot. I'd want to really be in the moment as the phrase says, I mean, I'd want to be all those things. And so I imagine myself in that space. And again, that takes me three minutes. It's another practice that just allows me to condition the kind of emotions, the kind of calm, acceptance, gratitude that you mentioned, that are that are conducive to me enjoying myself. And paradoxically, they're also, as you mentioned, they're at the root of playing my best. One of the things that you said that I kind of use as a tool, as a mental strategy is you mentioned how a lot of this negative thinking is almost an evolutionary byproduct. You know, we're we're wired for that because that helped us survive in the past. And, you know, whenever I'm feeling nervous or, you know, I start to think about how I want to play well that day because it happens, that's my kind of default mode. I will, I will take a step back and say, well, why am I feeling that? And then I, I, you know, I go through this kind of script where I say, well, that's just my ego 
wanting to compete against others. Well, why does that happen? Well, that's an evolutionary byproduct, right? Because competition is a way of kind of showing who has the best genes. And then I just think of the silliness of it all, basically. And that kind of calms me down. I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous here because of something that is, you know, billions of years old, millions of years old. And uh, there's no real need for it. So I, I use that and what you said about kind of purpose and the Buddhism mindset of what, what's your purpose here is to enjoy it. And yeah, I use kind of both of those tactics. They both help me. Nice. Nice. Yeah, for me, when I'm when I'm in a round, especially if I'm if I'm in a tournament round and, and I notice any little disturbance in the force, so to speak, what I will do is go back to my third practice. So I so I do something regularly before the round. I do something regularly after the round, and on an ongoing basis, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks, I'll reconnect with. I'll answer the question: Why am I playing? To to your point. I'll get really clear on, well, I'm playing because I love how it feels when I strike it nice, pure. Doesn't happen all the time. Doesn't happen to the level that would get me on TV, but every now and then I hit some nice shots. And I love that feeling. That's why I'm there. So if I feel a little bit of a disturbance in the force, I can reconnect with the emotions I've conditioned. It's not that I've done this once. It's not that I've read a book and went, oh, why am I playing? Oh, I'm playing to have fun. Move on to the rest of my golfing life. But I do this as a practice. I do this regularly. Again, three, five minutes at a time, every couple of weeks. So that when I'm on the golf course and I'm feeling anxious or, or I start to feel a little frustration over slicing one into the woods, I can just step back and go, okay, KO, why are you here? And I get your answer is different than mine, Adam, but both our answers create that connection with something deeper, something that has an emotional root to it, because that emotional root's been cultivated. So main point from this is that routines will sharpen your cognitive ability to use your left brain and right brain to think logically, make the right course management decisions. And Scott Fawcett's decade thing is absolutely brilliant for that. And it will sharpen your ability to use your imagination and, you know, visualize the shot when you're in the think box and all that kind of good stuff. But your routines will not create the emotional state that you need to have fun and play well. And the way to do that is to condition that. Now, the things that I just talked about would be what I'd be recommending for the average golfer like me. If you were an elite level player, you would need to take that ritual process to a higher level and as, as well as take your routines to a higher level, I think, too, a higher level of refinement. But for the average guy, you, you do that and stay with it as a practice. You do those three things. Stay with it as a practice and your relationship with the game could be transformed. Yeah, I think it helps reveal, you know, one of the things that we constantly talk about on the show is is helping golfers build their skills with the impact fundamentals, which for a lot of people gets them thinking about golf differently because it gets them to stop thinking golf swing in terms of the technical elements of it versus like, what can I do to actually make that golf ball go where I want it to? I think this half of golf, 
or whatever percentage you want to call it, getting the emotions, the mental process down properly, that allows the skill to come out because I know certain golfers who are more skilled than others, but they don't perform the same because I think they struggle with this part of the game. And I'm glad that you mentioned like the concept of maintenance, like this doesn't something you just conceptually understand and it's done forever. This is something that needs to be worked on no differently than, you know, your speed control on the putting greens. So I often view this as like, we enter the golf course with different skill levels But how much of that onion gets peeled away and how much of that skill shines is a lot of this stuff. Are you, if you're in a crappy emotional state, I know a lot of golfers who are more skilled than me who who get into bad moods on the course in a tournament, specifically the younger ones. The kids are in college. They're still struggling with this and their emotions are still harder to control. And by that, their skill can't shine as much. So that's how I view how all of this connects together is like what you're doing on the golf course. And, and hopefully people are getting some good ideas here is that like that's allowing that skill to come out. And it needs to be And the other side of that is like, yeah, you need to work on that, too, as well to even have the baseline skill that needs to be improved. So a beautiful game, right? Well, yeah. And it's golf is important enough to me that, you know, I can take three to five minutes before a round, three to five minutes after a round, and three to five minutes every two or three weeks and put some focus on this. Um, You know, if you're a guy who's, well, if you're a guy who doesn't care, then you're not going to be listening to this podcast anyway. You're just going to go out with your buddies, have a few pops and whack it around. But, you know, if you care about the game, the risk isn't caring too little. The risk isn't caring so much that you get in your own way. And so these practices that I'm suggesting are ways for you to develop a scratch attitude, to, you know, to build the kind of emotional resilience and emotional foundation that's going to allow you to enjoy the game to the max. And because you're more relaxed and more carefree and more playful when it's your turn to play, chances are you're going to hit better shots more often. There are a couple other concepts that I wanted to talk to you about. Adam and I did an episode on pre-shot routines and post-shot routines. And one of the topics that came up was, you know, there's negative, neutral, and positive emotions or reactions, whatever you want to call them to shots. And I know it's something you talked about a lot too. I just think it's such an awesome, interesting concept. Just the, let's talk about neutral and positive because you don't even like to go the negative route, but like, you know, when you're on the course, when you're playing, give me some thoughts on those. You've discussed neutral and positive a lot. So I'll lead you into that one and you can give me your thoughts. Well, neutral is how I want to feel when I think about the post-shot response as being kind of the litmus test for where my attitude is at. And neutral is how I want to feel if I, you know, if I miss one, I don't want to, I mean, the truth of the matter is I don't want to accept a bad shot because acceptance suggests that I need to go into some kind of a cognitive process to convince myself that what I just did was acceptable. I want to ignore a bad shot altogether. I want to emotionally ignore it. It's just like, okay, move on. Like the traffic lights red, so I got to stop. The traffic lights green, so I go. Not invested in it one way or the other. Now, I'm not saying I can do this all the time, but 
So I want to ignore my worst shots from an emotional point of view, not ignore them in the sense that I don't see where the ball goes or I don't realize that, you know, if I've hit, you know, four slices into the woods off the tee that I don't need to see someone like Adam and say, hey, Adam, you know, I've noticed a pattern in what I'm doing here lately. I don't mean ignoring it in that way, but I am saying ignoring it from an emotional point of view. I don't want to invest any emotion whatsoever in it. And I don't want to invest any mental energy trying to convince myself that I should accept it. It just is what it is and I move on. Now, from a positive point of view, I want to be, when I hit a good shot, I want to react to me the way I would react to you guys. I'm playing with you guys and you step up, we step up to the first tee and John, you're teeing off and you pipe one up the middle. I'm going to say, great drive, man. Why wouldn't I say that to myself? Do you say that internally or is that an external? You actually say those words. I will say those words. I mean, sometimes I will say, I mean, I have certain go-to things that I tend to pop out of my mouth, like, you know, thing of beauty or, or you know, that's what I'm talking about or, you know, <laughs> like, you know, those kind of things. But I'm not using it like a script. It's not a routine for me in the sense that I'm, that's my script. I just want that to pop out. I like to think that, you know, my buddies would say that I do that pretty consistently that I'll, I'll and people will smile when it, when it happens. And, you know, like if I happen to tap in a two foot, putt, I'm not, I'm not reacting like Ian Poulter, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is like, you know, like, and it's the opposite guys don't mind me every now and then like three or four times around. I might say that was a thing of beauty or, or that's what I'm taught. They don't mind that what they don't want to hear. And what I don't want to hear is guys grumbling and mumbling, you know, walking off the green going, how the hell did that thing not break left? I mean, I watched yours break left and I watched Adam's break left. How the hell did my butt not break left? Like, that's what they don't want to hear. Partners in misery. Yeah. So basically, I'm trying to coach myself. I'm trying to say things to myself that are no different than what I say to you guys. I mean, if one of you guys, you know, whacked a tee shot into the woods, I'm not going to say a damn thing. I'm not going to criticize you for sure. And I'm certainly not going to say, well, you know what? I think you came a little bit over the top there. And I think if you, you know, completed your shoulder turn a little bit more and gave yourself the opportunity to blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not going to go on with any of that. Why would I say that to myself? Who the hell knows why it went left? Adam might know because he's a golf pro and he could look at me and say, well, hey, blah, blah, blah. But Well, even to that level, we try and keep it very simple. You know, it went left. Okay. Club face was left. I'll say this because we're on the only because it can potentially illustrate the point. I was in Vancouver last summer for the birth of my grandson, and I'm playing with uh, the the son of my wife's husband's stepfather. Anyway, I'm playing with this young guy, 25 or 30, and we're playing together. And after you know, we play a couple of rounds, and afterwards, his father is at a you know we're having dinner together, and his father said, "Oh, you know, you were playing with with Chris," and I said, "Yeah." He said, "Chris was very impressed with your game," and I said, "That's nice." He said, yeah. He said, well, what stood out for him, he said, was you'd be walking along the fairway and you guys would be talking, Kent. And he said, you'd hit an excellent shot. And then, you know, you'd continue the conversation or you'd be walking along the fairway and you'd hit a terrible shot and you'd continue the conversation. And to me, that was like, man, you know what? I'm really glad to hear that. That's the way I want to be. I, I want to be good reaction if it's a good one and no reaction whatsoever if it's a bad one. And I think that's pretty rare from what I've seen. Not to say that I'm, uh, you know, that I've got this thing mastered by any stretch, but I put time and effort into it. I see that doing my little rituals as important as 
taking some time to hit 50 yard wedge shots, you know, when I get a chance. Yeah. And it is one of the hardest things to do in golf. Like even just thinking back to what happened yesterday at the players championship, if this episode will probably be coming out a couple of months after that, but you know, there was just some crazy results like cam hit that duck hook on 16 out of nowhere into the trees and he had to get out of there and then he puts one in the water on 18 and i'm like this guy just like he had it that day obviously but he's you know i've watched him play a lot he's an impressive really impressive player because i think he does have that part of the game he just kind of looks like a dude who's happy to be out there and just do it like he says he's just happy to be competing and it was kind of like i was watching this i'm like wow that is next level emotional control i mean a lot of the guys on men's night at my club would have lost their minds because you know what i mean like over a ten dollar skin yeah (laughs) yeah it was just so interesting because that one shot the duck hook on 16 like that was a real out of nowhere i can't think of another player the only time i can think of is when jim furick I don't want to say lost, um, but he had his his opportunity when the U.S. Open. It was the one, I think, an Olympic club versus Webb Simpson, and he hit a hybrid off the tee and duck hooked it. It was just reminiscent of that. Just came out of nowhere and just like probably went 220 yards, and he just let it go. It was really incredible. And then chipped it out, and the four iron, I think he hit. Yeah, he hit one from 230. was like stellar. Yeah, no, it was very impressive. But obviously that's pro-level stuff. But, you know, you can still have the same, I I think what you're saying is like you can have the same reaction capability of a player like that. I think a lot of tour players struggle with that because, you know, the stakes are so high and they do lose their cool. There's a lot of golfers who don't have control of their emotions out there. To me, there's two things that, the things that I can put effort into that'll have the biggest payoff as a golfer. First of all, my inner game. There's no reason why I can't have a, a really, really strong inner game. I just need to put some effort into it. And the inner game for me is both mental and physical. So I need to have, you know, r- routines that are really aligned with how I'm wired. And I need to have rituals that are going to cultivate the kind of emotional state that I, that I want to have. And the other thing is, you know, I can develop, if I want to put some time and effort into it, I can develop a competent short game. There's nothing I can do in the next, you know, for the remainder of my life that's going to allow me to hit a four iron like Cam Smith did on 16. It's not in the cards. It's not possible. I couldn't hit a drive that good. But the inner game and the short game. And one of the great puzzles for me is why, you know, I see guys that are avid players. They're good players. Like, you know, they're good club level players and they're avid. And, you know, they get bent out of shape over – over, you know, screwing up a 20-yard chip shot, but I never, ever, ever see them practicing. So same with thing with the inner game. I mean, if you never put any – look, the stuff that, you know, the stuff that Vision 54 wrote and Bob Rotella, I mean, these are great books, no doubt about it, Lot, tons of wisdom in them. But it's not about reading a book once and going, oh, man, that's a great concept. I agree with it. It's about doing what you need to do to to leverage that knowledge in a, in a way that you know conditions your mind and you know to be where you want it to be. I almost see it like these different layers. So yeah, you have these top level layers, maybe they're bottom level layers. I don't know how to structure it, but you know things 
dealing with symptoms, basically. So, oh, you're feeling nervous, breathe. And as you said, that works for a split second. I remember traveling to an, an interview and I was deadly nervous. I was, I was driving in the car, my heart was just pounding and I was like an hour away from the interview, my heart was pounding. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta breathe, I gotta breathe. So I focus on my breathing and be like, ah, that's calm. And then three minutes later, my heart was pounding again. And so it wasn't a lasting solution. Now I can think of more recent interviews where I've gone and I haven't had my heart pounding. And the biggest difference was my, were my core beliefs. You know, I was now entering that, that interview. I didn't need the job, basically. So my beliefs were different. I see golf sim similarly as well. Yes, we can do all these breathing exercises and try to do these cognitive things to convince ourselves that we're not feeling nervous. But ultimately, if you've got a deeper belief and that belief is maybe centered around what you're talking about, you know, it's more about joy and you're going out there to to play for a different goal, a different purpose, then you don't need those tools above it. You don't need to do the breathing exercises to calm yourself down because you've just got a different belief system. And like you said, that just in order to create a different belief system, you have to ingrain it through constant daily, weekly rituals. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying. I once wrote a blog post about on this topic about, you know, you have a lion next to you or a tiger, something like that. And, you know, one person is going to be really, really nervous. And you could tell that person, oh, just breathe through it. Try not to be nervous. It's probably not going to work. However, a lion tamer, someone who has a, de a deeper belief or different belief system, they might be able to stand right next to that tiger or lion and, and not feel nervous because they've had more experience with that. So it's the belief system creates the different somatic and cognitive responses. Totally, totally. So it's that, it's that bottom of the iceberg thing again. If you want the benefits that are at the bottom of the iceberg, if you want the emotional patterns and you want the beliefs that are going to be aligned with your best golf, you got to do some work down there. You can't routine your way into better beliefs or better emotions. Routines have their place. They're valuable and refining them in a, I mean, I would certainly recommend that any elite player would, would want to refine his beliefs, but yeah, they are what they are and they're not any more than what they are. So you can't use them to solve the whole inner game puzzle. Maybe this will be our last topic. We'll see. But Ken, you had written an article on my site a couple of years ago. I'll, I'll jog your memory a little bit of it. it. It was about how you can play great golf while being nervous, which is, I think, a concept that a lot of golfers are conditioned to, like we're saying, like, oh, you know, in order to play well, like you need to be like, you know, totally confident and have all these like great <laughs> thoughts over every shot. And it's just not possible. And you had included a clip. This was when Victor Hovland had won the Maya, the Mayakoba golf classic. It was a really interesting clip at the end of it where he just pretty much admitted that he was nervous coming down the stretch and he still won. And, and you gave some interesting thoughts about, you know, we all have different motivations you have to make distinctions between thoughts and emotions and observing your emotions when this happened and, and then kind of change the pattern. I think that was kind of like the, the, the body of the article. But do, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think, you know, every, everyone listening to this 
feels pressure relative to where they are in the game. If it's someone who's a beginner, they feel the pressure of that first tee shot in front of a bunch of strangers. And I can tell you that even very high level players feel that pressure too. Or, you know, whether it's winning a skin from your buddies, a Nassau match, playing an elite tournament, like we all get nervous and anxious on the course. That's okay. It's just, how do we, you know, accept it or deal with that? And, and I thought you had some great thoughts on it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So the framework that I would use for, let's say I had an opportunity to work with someone like Victor, the framework that I would use for that is in the same way that some people are extroverts and some people are introverts, and you're not going to change that. It's, it's just a fundamental temperamental wiring. So the difference between Adam and me. <laughs> are you an extrovert? Oh, yeah, man. You haven't seen me in real life. You've only seen me on this thing. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the categorizations that I use, and this is my own thing and my own language around it. So I'm not saying it's backed up by anything more than the living research that I've done as a coach. But I would categorize people as some people are pure players and some people are pure performers. And when you're a pure performer, when you're under extreme pressure, your energy and attention will go inward. And you'll become hyper aware of what's going on inside you, your physical sensations, your thoughts, your emotions. So you'll find yourself standing over the ball and suddenly, you know, you know, like you're aware of how your hands feel in the club. And, and, you know, you're conscious of the fact that your throat's dry or your heart's beating faster, or, you know, you're saying all these negative things to yourself, like, you know, I got to stop this now or, and the outside world tends to get a little foggy. It tends to get, you know, it's not as crisp and clean. But if you're a pure, sorry, did I confuse myself there? Pure performer, I think I did. Pure performer is someone who under extreme pressure, the outside world gets really crisp and clear. And they lose touch with what's going on inside themselves. Pure player is someone who under extreme pressure, the outside world gets foggy and their attention goes inward and they become hyper aware of their thoughts, emotions, and sensations. And I would think most people would fall under the category of being a pure player. Well, at least in the recreational sense, like a normal golfer. Golf psychology wants to make everyone a pure performer. Yeah. <laughs> in the same way that, you know, my career for 20 years was in leadership and or leadership development and most of what was written and said about leadership for a long time and the unconscious belief system was that the best leaders were the most charismatic. They were extroverted, charismatic, able to stand up in front of a room full of two or 3,000 people and, and appear to be calm and comfortable, confident. But that's not actually the case. So what golf psychology does is attempt to make everybody into Jack or Brooks Kepka, Jack Nicholas or Brooks Kepka or Tiger. Someone who under extreme pressure gets totally focused out there. And you'll hear Brooks, for example, saying, hey, I'm, I don't even care about these regular tour events. The only thing I care about are the majors. And when I'm in the majors, I, that's my place. I know what I need to do and I do it. And I can pull up a quote from Jack basically saying that, you know, he felt he had an advantage in the majors because – that kind of pressure made him, you know, helped his game. And he, and he felt that that kind of pressure hurt a lot of his competitors. So I would put on the pure performer side of things, I would put Jack and Brooks and Tiger 
on the pure player side of things, I'd put someone like Ricky Fowler, Sergio Garcia, Greg Norman. Now, there are grades within that. And obviously, you know, Sergio Garcia and Greg Norman and Ricky Fowler are pretty good golfers. So you can you can play great golf no matter how your temperament is. But one of the things that's important is to set up your goals that are aligned with your temperament. So if you have a pure performer and you set the traditional smart goals, you're bang on the money. Pure performer, he should be all about his majors. It should be targeting, you know, I want to shoot, you know, I want to have this many greens in regulation and, you know, like very, very targeted goal oriented and oriented towards those two or three times you want to peak in the season because that will give you juice. That's where you want to go. That's what you want to focus on anyway. But if you're a pure player, if you're on the other side of it, setting goals to win tournaments is going to put pressure on you. and It's not going to be good. What I'd be recommending with a pure player, and I'd have to, you know, talk to someone like Hovland to, to, to figure out exactly where he was on the scale. But if he was a pure player, let's say, with him, you don't want to set goals to win anything. You want to be oriented towards your process. You want to be oriented towards the idea that every shot, it's just another shot, just another hole, just another tournament. No different in the pro-am than it is on the first day of the Masters than it is on the first day at the, uh, you know, at the tour stop in Puerto Rico. It's just a long string of, you know, I'm going to commit to my shot or I'm going to, you know, work. I'm going to feel this way or I'm going to think this way. My routines. That's, that's interesting. We did a podcast recently on habits and this was John's topic. And as we were going through it, I'll be honest, John, I didn't connect with it that much because I'm very much smart goals, (laughs) you know, and exactly what you said there, when you were talking about performance versus player, when I'm under pressure, I get more external. And you said that tends to fit with players who want to suit more, uh, fit more smart goals, whereas yeah, so that that kind of makes sense. Now I don't I don't really connect as much to the the habits idea personally. It's more about right. It's got to be defined outcomes here. That's what gets my juices flowing. So that's interesting. I've never heard that connection there, but yeah, it makes sense for me. Then your tendency is going to be to have them really hone in on some very specific goals, really track the statistics around those goals. And if I'm that kind of player and I'm having a conversation with you on the practice range or off to the side, I'm going to be calm as a cucumber and it's going to make total sense to me. But in the heat of the moment, being in that situation with those goals is going to put even more pressure on me. And I'm going to be even less likely to perform. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's an awesome distinction because as Adam just said, we're, we're probably wired differently in this. Like I don't write down hard goals that does not work for me i have things i want to achieve but i've always done better when i've been able to maintain the habits necessary to get there and in golf i've always fought against that because you know i I feel the pressure of the result of the score and that always diminished my ability to let my skill come out while i played it was just too much for me perfect description for a player for the category that i would call pure player i feel the pressure 
Yep. And now when I think of, again, I'm not totally perfect at this. I'm not some type of elite tournament player, but now that I've locked in more to this process and played enough of these tournaments, the pressure doesn't bother me as much because like I'm just out like I genuinely am enjoying the moment like I'm not trying to win I'm not good enough to win am I good enough to top 20 yeah right now I am probably but it's more of like me taking control of that process and then just like hitting the ball and going to the next shot and starting over again just feeling like I'm on that on that hamster wheel helps me a lot more than like thinking about the end result as much as I'm like I know where I stand to par and all that stuff but like I'm trying to keep that out of my head as much as possible. That's just something I've gravitated towards because I realize it makes me perform better while I play. And the worst mistake that you could make is you do this process thing well, you get into it, and then you go, oh, you know, maybe I could finish top five. I'm going to set that as a goal for myself. (laughs) Once you do that, pressure. Yeah, and that's... I'm trying to think in the in the chronology of my head of episodes we've released at this point. At this, it'll probably be out at this point. But we did a tournament episode with with Scott Fawcett from Decade, and I talked about like, you know, going through the steps of like getting better and dealing with more pressure. Where it's like I've been at a point where you know sometimes maybe I get myself into contention, then there's a second round I get to or a third round, and then I'm like that's unfamiliar territory. I'm like, oh, I could top five here. And then it's up, you know, then things don't go well. And then hopefully I've learned. And if I get myself in that position the next time, like I'll understand, like, this is not working for you. Like stick to the process enjoyment level, just have fun thing. <laughs> and, and you may, you may get there a lot, a lot easier. You're going to have goals, but the point of this little bit of discussion is that your goals are process goals. Yes, Adam's absolutely. Goals need to be more, and I see, I mean, I, there's a, I'm not going to mention his name because I, I don't know the guy and, and I'd have to sit down with him to really, to really be clear. But it looks to me like there's a great player on tour who is wired to be a performer. And he's been listening to all these guys basically tell him that he should be more process oriented, which it's just not the way for this guy to go. So... You know, I think that, you know, a guy like Adam, from what you just described, you would be the, you know, hey, I'm win this tournament, step on this guy's throat, even potentially, you know, like Tiger used to be. That's the kind of thing that's going to, you know, get you where you need to be. Whereas with John, and I'm like that too. I'm like you too, John. I need to be more, more process oriented. But the point of this whole conversation is, for a tournament player, you want to make distinctions in your inner game. And one of the distinctions is, you know, one of the things that sets up the kind of rituals you use is whether you're a performer or a player. So the kind of rituals I'd be recommending to John are different than the rituals I'd be recommending to Adam. Make sense? I think so. Yeah. I'm glad we brought it up just because there is no like we're going to come back to the same point. Like there's a lot of great, no different than like the golf swing or, or technique. There's a lot of great information on the golf swing, but it's not relevant. You know, we, we've gone into this in a million episodes. Yeah. You, know, you could watch videos on YouTube about shallowing the shaft of your club. And if that's a good matchup for you, well, great. Then you're probably going to see some improvement if that was the right matchup for you. But like, if you are someone who <laughs> can't rotate the, the way necessary for that move, you're going to be hitting some enormous blocks probably. So mental game is not 
I guess as it's less tangible than the physical parts of the game, it's hard to assign these things. So I'm glad we're we're providing these different perspectives because listen, I'm still learning them. I I certainly don't have all the answers and it's kind of a trial by fire process. (laughs) But yeah, people are definitely wired differently and need to behave differently. Well, I think that, you know, that's a great word. You know, I have a little bit of an understanding of the swing, like not much, but I, I understand that it's important. And, you know, it's a word that could be used in all the stuff we're talking about now. It's the matchups. What are yep. your inner game matchups? So I'm, that's a great, uh, great framework to put around the whole thing. Awesome. I guess that might be a good place to wrap up the conversation. I'm sure we could have you on again and go into some different topics, but we've reached kind of our classic time limit here. Adam, did you have any other follow-up questions for Kent? No, no, just something to think about with regards to the performer versus the player, something I've never heard before, but kind of made, made sense to me, especially with, with what we've done on habits versus goals in the past. So yeah, something for me to go off and think a little bit more about or a lot more about. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Uh, it was a real pleasure to uh, chat with both of you. And uh, yeah, hopefully your listeners will do the same, that they'll find something that they can go away and think about and then, you know, use what's useful for them and, uh, you know, discard what isn't. Yeah. I think that's what we try and do. We try and throw a bunch of little seeds out there. Maybe you pick one that you think sounds relevant to your game put some water on it, think about it. Maybe it'll grow into a big tree for you one day. But you definitely gave us a lot of interesting things to think about. So Kent, where can everyone find you and your ebook? I've got a website, scratchattitude.com. If you like, uh, give me a follow on Twitter. It's uh, at scratchattitude. I try to send out little tweets that are aligned with this theme. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you're a great follow and you're part of the golf twitter community certainly go over to kent's profile he's always giving out little pieces of wisdom adam where can everyone find you adamyounggolf.com and john where can people find you you can find me at practical-golf.com and there are i think kent you've probably written four articles on my site at this point if i'm remembering correctly so you can check out some of kent's work on practical golf and thanks to everyone who tunes in for every new episode and we appreciate your feedback and we will see you next time